You're listening to the Hillside Pulpit, a ministry of Hillside Baptist Church. This is Pastor Chad Henley, and I want to thank you for allowing the Hillside Pulpit to be part of your spiritual journey. If this podcast has blessed you in any way, would you consider leaving a five-star review on your podcasting app? That will help us get the word out to others. And we invite you to join us to worship the King at the Hill. Well, it's a privilege to be here. If you don't know me, my name is uh, Chad Henley. I'm one of the pastors here. It is a privilege to be here. Let me do encourage you, if you'd like to learn more about our church or about uh, how you can become a covenant member of our church, if you're thinking about that or praying through that, we do have a sign-up sheet um, on the, in, the, in the lobby right there on the table in the middle where you can sign up and we'll get that scheduled at a time that will work for everybody and, and uh, we can begin that conversation. Uh, but today we're going to be taking a break from our series through the book of Acts. Uh, today is um, uh, a day that uh, has been set apart um, uh, by some called Sanctity of Life Sunday. And Sanctity of Life Sunday is the day where we draw attention to the issue of abortion and speak into uh, the world uh, what the scriptures say about the value of preborn life. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, but before we do, let me pray for us to get, let's pray one uh, more time together uh, before we get started. King Jesus, Lord, we gather today just amazed by your presence, Lord, just so grateful. God, for your love, which is new every morning, and for, you, for this church, God, that you have gathered together um, to be your people. Lord, we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. You are the good shepherd, Lord. We're asking you, God, to lead us to the green pastures and still waters of your grace. And we just pray that you'd have your way in our midst this morning, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. God, that you would show us, Lord, what our responsibility is in the world to, um, uh, to defend, Lord, the defenseless and to um, bring honor and glory and praise to your name. And so help us, Lord, today as we look to you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalms 139, the book of Psalms, chapter 139. So, as I mentioned, it is Sanctity of Life Sunday. The issue of abortion is probably one of the most controversial issues of today, and so for that reason, it's tempting just to to say nothing about it. Um, But I think we can all admit that what's at stake in the issue of abortion is so high that we really cannot afford to not have an opinion on it. Um, in fact, this issue of abortion is so important and so divisive even that um, our, their two major political parties have made for or against abortion central parts of their platforms. And so my point is to say that we must have a position of, on abortion. It's vastly too important not to have a position on abortion uh, because the issue at hand deals with millions and in fact even billions of human lives. The U.S. Abortion Clock, which is a website that you can check out, estimates that there have been almost 1.7 billion, with a B, abortions in the world since 1980. Um, And there have been around 65 million abortions in the U.S. since Roe versus Wade decision in 1973. And so, of course, this question is of grave concern to us Christians because it is a, because the question of abortion asks questions that are 
of central importance to the Christian faith. What does it mean to be human? What is the value of a human life, and where does that derive from? Uh, what responsibility do the strong have to protect the weak? All of these issues are very important to the Christian faith, and so we as Christians can just, we we must have an opinion on it. And so I'm going to make a very simple case today, very simple case from Scripture, from a little bit of science, and from some common sense reasoning, I believe, to to argue that preborn babies have the right to live. That's what we're going to do today from Psalm, beginning in Psalm chapter 39, beginning Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13. If you're able and willing, let me invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Psalm 139, verse 13. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, so this is how we're going to go about uh, this, this morning First, we're going to begin at asking the question, what is the fundamental question? What is the fundamental question? And then we're going to ask, what does the Bible say about preborn life? Then from there, we're going to ask, what does biology say about preborn life? And then we're going to move on to how we can support the preborn. And then finally, uh, one of the most important questions uh, to ask and answer today is, what if I've been involved in an abortion? And we're going to talk about that at the end of the message. Um, So number one, the first question that we need to ask is, what is the fundamental question? What is the fundamental question? And it's similar to asking the question, what is an abortion and what is at stake? Because the language is very important. If you ask some people, they'll call it a termination of a pregnancy. Some will call call it the removal of a fetus or even just the removal of some tissue. Now, of course you know, language matters, because if if what is inside the womb is a a human being, a human baby, uh, as I'm going to argue that it is, then then we must say that abortion, by definition, is no less than the intentional killing of a human being. So the discussion illuminates why language and words are so important, which is why I strongly believe as Christians that we must be careful with our words, and we must be courageous to not say things that we don't think are true. And we must be courageous to use language that means what we say and, and say what we and, and we use correct language to say what we mean. If we concede the language, then we've already conceded the victory, basically. Because how you what you what words you use to describe things frame the way we think about it. And so if you can control the language, you can actually control the way people think and conceive of a particular issue. Right? So let's be honest, right? The removal of tissue sounds way nicer than killing a baby. And what you call it makes all the difference. And so, and so language matters, right? Um, and so the fundamental question I believe we can, that, we can, that, we, that needs to be asked is this. Who's in the womb? That's it. 
who is in the womb. Of course, some may say what is in the womb, but the point is, is that's the question, right? I mean, if we just answer that one question, literally all the other debate is, is just really just goes away. Because if, if, if what's in the womb is a human being, then of course they have the right to live. If it's not, then it's a, ma- it's, it's a, it's a matter of indifference. All right, so that's the fundamental question, and that's the question we're going to try to answer today from Scripture and from biology. And so that's the fundamental question, and so the, the next part is what does the Bible say about preborn life? Of course, not everyone accepts what the Bible has to say, but I believe most of you in this room and, and perhaps even most watching are interested at least in what the Bible has to say about preborn life. And as believers, if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, Obviously, we want to agree with God on what he says about preborn life, what inhabits the womb, all right? And so, gratefully, the Bible has some pretty amazing things to say. We just read Psalm 139, perhaps the most famous passage when we talk about the issue of abortion. But David, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Now, I want you to think about that. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So who was in David's mother's womb? David. David was in David's mother's womb. It was David in that womb. David understands that it was him. It was him as a human being in his mother's womb. All right? And he's praising God, right, for that. So in other words, when you were in your mother's womb, at any point within there, that was you. At one week of gestation, that was you. At two weeks, at four weeks, at eight weeks, at 12 weeks, at 24 weeks, at 36 weeks, that was you in the womb. And as surely as you're a person now, I believe you were a person then. And it was God, and this is what's important too. It was who was, needed, who was doing that? It was God. God was knitting you together in the womb. So what does that mean? It means every child is a divine masterpiece. God is a, you know, we think of knitting as a female activity. Hey, God's the best knitter of all. He knits you together in in your mother's womb. Every child is a divine masterpiece, fearfully, wonderfully made. That is the ground of our human value and the ground of our human worth. We don't need somebody else to tell us that my life matters, that your life matters. Your life matters because God made you. If God didn't want you to be here, you wouldn't be here. You're here because God wanted you to be here, because God made you, so your life matters, right? And so I think we can say, too, and it says there that, it says that, God, David said, God knew my days, each one of them, before they were formed, all right, but before there was any of them. And so those days in the womb are part of the days of David. They're part of his life, all right, because that was David, because that was him. And, li- and we can say because of this that life begins, according to Scripture, when that knitting process begins, all right, but certainly that means at conception, and so I do think we have some biblical warrant to see here that life begins an exception when God begins that knitting process in the womb. There's two other passages that I want to look at that deal with the significance of um, a baby within the womb, and they're very fascinating to me. I love these passages. The first is in Luke chapter 1, verse 13. 
It says, but the angel said to him, talking to Zechariah, he said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And get this, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. That's amazing. This preborn baby John was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's amazing, right? If that doesn't speak to the significance of preborn life, I don't know what does. God had a plan and a purpose for John's life, and John had a spiritual awareness even as a preborn baby. And we know this because of the next passage, which is a little bit later in Luke chapter 1, verse 42. It says, Elizabeth exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, blessed are the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So this is Elizabeth with John the Baptist, pregnant with John the Baptist, and Mary comes and visits her. And when Elizabeth sees Mary, John jumps in her womb. And it's just an amazing thing. John was rejoicing at being in the presence of Jesus in the womb. And so it's just a beautiful picture of the humanity, the intricacy, the beauty, the value, the worth of preborn life. Each child, each preborn child is a divine masterpiece. Each preborn baby has a soul, a spiritual component that is already active in that baby's life. So that's what the Bible says about preborn life. But the next question is what does biology say about preborn life? And I think you'll find some of this quite interesting. We know surveys don't determine the truth, but it is interesting. It is interesting that in one survey that was done, uh, most people, people were asked who they thought had the most ability to determine when life actually starts, and most people agreed that biologists have, you know, are, the best, are in the best position to determine when life begins. And complementing that is a survey of some 5,000 biologists that revealed that 96% of them believe that life starts at conception. So what happens at conception? Well, an egg and a sperm unite to create one cell called a human zygote. Now, what's remarkable about a zygote when the egg and the sperm unite is that immediately when the zygote is formed, it already has its own unique DNA. And why is that important? Well, that's important because one of the most common arguments for being pro-choice today is that the baby is just a part of the woman's body, therefore she can do whatever she wants to do with it. But the problem with that is that the, the zygote at the moment of conception has its own unique DNA that is, that is different from its mother, and so it is biologically distinct. We actually, I learned this, I didn't know this, but this is very interesting. At six days old, the baby within the womb, at six days old, begins to produce an enzyme uh, called IDO. Now, what does IDO do? Well, maybe you have heard before that people who have organ transplants, sometimes they have to take this special medicine because why? Because your body recognizes that something foreign has entered your body and wants to reject it. 
Because our bodies have these built-in systems, right, that when some kind of foreign organism enters our bodies, it wants to reject it. It thinks it's harmful. It wants to kill it. Well, what the baby begins to produce IDO at six days because what does that enzyme do? It actually neutralizes the mother's body's attempts to, to attack the baby because the mother's body biologically recognizes that that is not her. Something else is inside of her. And, that's, and it's very fascinating and interesting. And the baby has to produce this enzyme to, to, for, for the whole gestation process to work because, because the, 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 body, the woman's body itself knows that that is not part of her body. And so it means that from the early stages of conception, the baby has a unique human DNA, right? And so if you took a cat hair to a biology lab and you asked the biologist, what is this? Well, they'd do the DNA sample and they'd say, well, it's a cat. Well, if you took a zygote, a human zygote, to a biology lab and asked, what is this? They'll do the DNA test and they'll say, well, it's a human because it has human DNA, all right? And so the biological realities, I think, are so significant, and I think many people recognize that, that the really only other way to get around it is to basically redefine what it means to be fully human. And that's exactly what many people today have done, but it's not the biologists that are doing that. It's the philosophers and the ethicists that are doing that. For example, there's a famous philosopher and bioethicist who you probably haven't heard of, but he's very famous. His name is Peter Singer. I actually had to read one of his books that I didn't read all the way because I was in college, and who reads their books all the way? But um, I read it partially. Don't, don't follow me, kids. Um, but I didn't read it all the way, but I actually I was assigned one of Peter Singer's books at Georgia Tech in my ethics class. I mean, I had to read one of his books. So Peter Singer is a famous philosopher and bioethicist. He is the Ira W. DeCamp Professor of Bioethics at Princeton University, one of the most prestigious universities in the United States. And you'll be surprised to learn that Peter Singer has actually argued that a person's full humanity or value as a human being is really dependent upon their cognitive ability. In other words, their level of psychological development. Now, if you think about that, it's not hard to think about that and realize the problems with this view. If a human's worth is based on their cognitive capacity, because what that means is that people with mental handicaps are less human than people who aren't or who don't have a mental handicap, or that people with mental handicaps are less human or less worthy of life. In fact, Peter Singer made some quite big waves in the 90s when he actually wrote a paper making a case for infanticide, that because the brain wasn't sufficiently developed within the first 30 days after birth, that it was legitimate for a child to be killed up to 30 days after birth. Guys, this is not a fringe, flat-earther YouTube guy. This is the professor of bioethics at Princeton University. And so what's the point? The point is, is that we have to think and we have to think about what is the genuine nature of this being, this baby in the womb. What does it mean to be human? And what humanity has a right to live? Do I have more of a right to live than somebody with Down syndrome? At what point of development do we, do, do we officially become human, right? So let's go back in time. You know, am I more human today than I was yesterday? Am I more human today than I was when I was at the peak of my physical activity at 20 years old? 
it was, was Jude, our youngest son, more human, on October 14th, 2023, the day of his birth, than he was on October 13th, 2023, the day before his birth? Was he more or less human? I think you can see that the further we go back in time, it really just becomes totally arbitrary when we set the date and say now they're a human and now they're not. We're just, we're just making it up. We're just picking a random date. Because the further you go back in time, the truth is, is that was still me. And that was still Jude. And that was still Jude. And that was still Jude. You know, this was Jude. This was Jude. This was Jude. This was Jude. And so I don't think it's sufficient. And indeed, in fact, I think it's quite dangerous to say that a person's humanity is dependent upon their cognitive capacity. And so... Our, our, my argument is here that preborn babies from conception to birth have a right to live. And I'll end this point with a simple syllogism. A syllogism being the most basic form of arguments with two premises and a conclusion. And here it is. Premise one, it is wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. Premise two, abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being. Number three, therefore abortion is wrong. It's simple, it's basic, it's not complicated, it makes perfect sense to me, and I hope it makes perfect sense to you. So number four, how can we support the preborn? How can we support the preborn? Well, if you are persuaded with, with me that preborn babies have a right to live, we must ask, of course, what we can do to help. If abortion is, in fact, the intentional killing of a human being, and there have been 65 million abortions since uh, the, uh, since Roe v. Wade 1973, compare that with 6 million Jews killed in the Holocaust, 12.5 million Africans in the transatlantic slave trade, and then compare that with 65 million abortions since 1973 in the U.S. I think there is no doubt in my mind that along with the present-day sex slavery, which in case you didn't know, there are more slaves today than have ever existed in human history. Most people don't know that. Then abortion, along with present-day sex slavery, are, is the greatest, these are the greatest human rights crisis in our day. And if we believe that there is a Christian obligation to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves, I just think we have to believe and understand today that there is nobody more helpless more defenseless and more vulnerable than a preborn baby. You know, I think it was Ronald Reagan who said something to this effect one time. He said, It is interesting that everybody who is for abortion has been born. It's the unborn that have no right to speak for themselves. And I think we have to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. So, what can we do? Several things. The first, we must, first thing we must do is pray. It's not, just a, it's not just a flippant thing. Our most important and valuable weapon is prayer. God decried the sacrificing of children to the Canaanite gods in exchange for temporal blessing. God hates child sacrifice, and we can pray for his help and aid in this fight. The second thing we can do is give to support a crisis pregnancy center. There are some really wonderful and phenomenal crisis pregnancy centers that help girls and women in all stages, that really help, that really just help them. And most of them, just about all that I know about, offer all of their services 
100% free of cost because of donations of people like you to give. I know of crisis pregnancy centers that give parenting classes, that give diapers and food and support both before and after birth, okay? It gives uh, parenting classes to, the, to, the, to the, the mom and the dad, teaching the dad how to take responsibility for his children and to care for his family, all right? And so uh, these are great resources to, to help women make an informed decision about what they're doing. You know, it's been noted that many women's abortion actually, abortion actually is going down um, from what it has been in the past, and I think a large part of that is because of the influence of crisis pregnancy centers, because a lot of women change their mind on getting an abortion the second they see a sonogram, which is why one of the most things we, important things we can do is give to crisis pregnancy centers so they can buy sonogram equipment so they can show these women uh, their, their, their children. So lots of people don't really recognize this, and, um, and so um, I'm going to show you some pictures right now of what it looks like. This is a baby. It's called a zygote. This has a unique DNA inside the mother's womb. Next picture. This is four weeks old. You can see the arms, the distinct head, arms, legs, all forming at four weeks old. That's before many women even know that they're pregnant. It's a baby. Eight weeks, look at that. You can see the eyeball beginning to form. It's just amazing. It's breathtaking. It's breathtaking. Twelve weeks old. He's trying to suck his thumb. Sixteen weeks. It's a baby. It's just undeniable. It's a baby. Twenty weeks. He is sucking his thumb. Look at that. That's just amazing. Twenty-four weeks. He's smiling in the womb. Twenty-eight weeks. Thirty-six weeks. I blocked some parts out for you sensitive folks there. But that, that's a boy. It's a boy, in case you were wondering. That's a boy. And look, eight weeks after birth, look at that. That's Jude, and that's what they are. That's a baby. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It's breathtaking. Babies. I debated about whether sharing this story, but I felt like um, I feel like I should. I heard two stories this week that I was not looking for. And um, when I was thinking about and working through this sermon that have to do with this issue. I mean, totally unsolicited. I just heard them from other people. It just happened to be the week I was preaching this sermon. And there are two stories that I think illustrate what we're going through. Both are sad. Both are hard but both illustrate real-life stories of what's happening. The first is the story of a, of a woman. I don't know her. You don't know her. Um, uh, but uh, she, she got pregnant, and she decided to take the, the abortive pill uh, to, to, to kill the baby. And when she, passed the, when she passed the baby and she saw the baby in the toilet, she was utterly shocked and could not even bring herself to, to flush the toilet. And this is, this is my concern, guys. 
But because of all the talk out there and because of, of, of things that are going out there in the world and people who, you know, whatever their intentions, they're, they're, they're not letting people have an informed decision. There's multitudes of women out there who I really believe they don't fully understand what they're doing. They haven't fully been given an opportunity to understand what they're doing. And when they make the decision and realize what they've done, it's just devastating to them. And I think we owe it to people to tell the truth, to say, hey, look, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. This is what a baby at four, six, eight weeks looks like so that people don't make decisions, that they make informed decisions, that they fully understand what they're doing when making a decision like this. And so I, I, I really, my heart goes out to this, to this woman, and, and, and we, should pray, we should pray for her, her help and her comfort. There's another story that contrasts with this, and this is a, a story, um, I'm assuming it's okay for me to share, Chris. There's a couple in Dublin, he is a, the husband is a youth minister at a church in Lawrence County, but they, they are currently pregnant at the moment, his wife is pregnant with a baby who has um, defects that the, the child cannot survive. Um, the brain is outside the skull, the heart is outside the body cavity, but they have chosen to carry the, the baby to, to term and to deliver the baby. Now, of course, that takes great courage to do that. But what does it also say? It also communicates the value of human life. The value of human life. To say, you know what, that, something went wrong in the room, but that's still a baby. It has dignity and worth and value to be born and to give in a funeral. And so these stories illustrate how we can honor human life at every stage as, as Christians. So what are some other things we can do? We can support legislation. Uh, we can support legislation and call your elected officials. Of course, one of the most important things you can do is foster and adopt, right? We, we must be willing, you know, if there's a woman who for whatever reason says that she doesn't want her baby, we must be willing to say with open arms, okay, we're asking you, please let that baby live. We will take the baby. We must be willing to say that, and we must be willing to do that. We must be willing to stand up and put our money where our mouth is, all right, and foster and adopt. Okay, uh, and then one of the most important things we can do is be a support system for at-risk at mothers. Help women and girls who are in hard situations and, and help take care of them and help uh, meet their needs to where they can make the right decision. Okay, the last thing and one of the most important things that I'm going to talk about today and will be done is question number five. What if I've been involved in an abortion? What if I've been involved in an abortion? So, you know, we're not naive. This has probably touched much more, many more of us in the room than we would like to admit. And I have, very, I have one very simple and very important thing to say, and that is this. The grace of God is big enough to cover the sin of abortion. And so if you've been involved in abortion anyway, God can forgive you, and he can heal you, and he can restore you, and he can redeem that. But you gotta, you got to own it. you got to take it to him. And you gotta, you got to receive his mercy. 
and receive his grace. And he can cleanse that and he can heal it and he can restore it and he can deal with that guilt and that shame and that wound. But you got to take it, you got to take it to him. You know, Jesus on the cross, when he was being crucified, when he was being killed, he said, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. And so God's grace can extend to you, and it will extend to you, if you will turn to him, if you will repent, if you will ask for his forgiveness and mercy. He can cleanse you and your conscience by the blood of of his cross. He can remove your sin as far from you as the east is from the west. And you can use your story and you can use your witness and you can use your testimony to encourage other people who don't know the cost, who don't know the pain, who don't know the regret that it causes. You can use people, you can use your story to help other people not make the same decision. Babies are precious, and they have the right to live. And we have a lot of work to do to love people, to tell them the truth, to point them to the truth about the beauty and the wonder of preborn life. Let's pray together. King Jesus, Lord, you are wonderful. You are magnificent. You are all glorious. You, knit, you knitted us each together in our mother's womb, fearfully, wonderfully made. Oh, Lord, how wonderful are your thoughts toward us. How vast the sum of them. They're like the sands of the sea. Lord, thank you for our children and the gifts that they are. And God, we pray, Lord, God, we pray that you would just let your light shine on this issue. God, that you would help people see, Lord, what's really at stake. And God, that we pray that we would not be part of something, Lord, that a hundred years from now people would look back and say, how could they, how could they think the way they did? Just like we look back on past and just say, how in the world could that happen, Lord? But it's happening right here in our midst. So God, help us, God, to, to stand for life, to stand for the truth, to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves, to defend those who cannot defend themselves. And I do pray, God, with all my heart, if there's anyone in this room who has been involved in abortion, whether encouraging one or receiving one or anything like that, God, I pray that they would lay it at your feet would come to you in repentance and sorrow and humility and brokenness and faith and in surrender. And God, I just pray that your blood, God, would just wash over them in cleansing, in healing, in restoration, Lord, uh, to do, Lord, what only you can do. Lord, we all need you today. We all need your mercy and your grace and forgiveness. And so if there is anyone today who for any reason God has, has, has yet to lay down their life in, tr in faith and trust and surrender to be cleansed by your blood, I pray today would be the day that they turn and trust in you. We're looking to you, King Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And it's in Christ's name we pray.
Amen.